Lord God, you are the one who has made all things. You are the one who sustains all things. In Lamentations 4, we see a picture of, of the removal of your provision and the disintegration of the culture. Lord, we pray that your gracious hand would be upon our land, that we would not experience a similar circumstance. We pray that your spirit would be present in us through, throughout our land, directing individuals, families, towns, states, all manner of people back to you. We pray this all in the name of the Lord Jesus, our Redeemer. Amen. So Lamentations 4 has this picture of, of the disintegration of the culture as I've just prayed, um, but it, it looks a little different than what we've seen in the past chapters. Specifically, we see here that, that it's a, a, a decay, right? That the, the culture kind of was okay, so to speak. It, it, it speaks of, of previous gold and things like that, but now it has been decayed. And I think that as we, we think about this, um, we're tempted to have a, a view of, of life as being, say, on autopilot. Right, that that when the difficult bits happen, you know, we, we like taking off an airplane. You know, a person's involved, um, but then pretty soon it's smooth sailing, and so we just switch on autopilot. And then who knows? Maybe something bad happens, and we have that sense of of uh, from time to time we have that sense that that's the way the world works. But I don't think that's what is being captured here. Instead, uh, I would encourage you to, to think about chemistry, um, and, and I'll, I'll use one sciencey word, but hopefully I'll explain it, and that is entropy. Now, entropy is a measure of how much disorder there is, and what, what chemists will tell us is that the, the world, the universe, tends toward disorder, and here's the way you could understand that. You could take take a pack of playing cards, right, 52 playing cards in a deck, and I could throw them onto the floor, and they could f fall face up, face down, half one way, half another way, you know, twisted, all turned about, or maybe one in a billion, they could fall perfectly stacked without any disruption. Now, we all know that that's not very likely. The principle involved there is entropy, is to say that the world, you know, the, the, the universe tends toward chaos and disorder. That's why the cards go higgledy-piggledy. That's why when I was a child and my mom said, go clean your room, I said, mom, who am I to argue against the laws of entropy? And then I went to clean my room. Um, right, we, we understand that, that, that left to their own devices... Things fall apart. Jeremiah in Lamentations 4 is using that sort of language to describe what is happening in Judah. And in short, right, it, we, we, we understand that, that 
it's not as though things are left to their own devices. Rather, it is the Lord in His providential care for His people has removed His blessing. Right? It even says in, in Lamentations 4 that, his, that the presence of the Lord drives the people into exile. Right? So the picture here is that the, the Lord's loving kindness has been removed. That His providential care has been removed. And as a result, the land dissolves into chaos. As we look at a culture that is wayward, as we seek to follow the Lord, I would just respond, and I think our good and right response to Lamentations 4 is that by the the life, death, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit working within us, we, brothers and sisters, you and I, need to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, seeking after the Lord, and to the, the, the people around, we need to then be a witness to what the Lord has done and pray that the Lord would graciously draw the nation to Himself. Because the alternative, I fear, is that what happened in Judah is repeated by and large, in our land. Now, as we think about that, we, we, we can begin to, to think about it as this degradation of former things. And, and this uh, plays a prominent role in the first 11 verses or so of the chapter. I mean, we see things like gold, right, here in verse 1. Uh, how dark the gold has become. How the pure gold has changed. Again, because... I think in the realm of chemistry probably more often than I should, one of gold's abiding properties is that it does not change, right? It always is shiny. It doesn't rust or tarnish or, or anything. In fact, it doesn't dissolve very easily. Like, it, it's hard to get rid of it. Gold is stable. And yet, here we see that even something like gold or precious stones, they're, they're diminished. They're, they're, they're not as nice, they're not as worth, their worth is, is, is much less. And we could ask why that might be. And, I mean, there's, there's two possible reasons for that. One is that there is so much gold that it just isn't worth anything anymore, that the supply is so high that there's just no real demand for it. I'll give you a hint, that's not what's going on here, Right? The other reason that we could understand that, that things that are precious in the society lose their value is because there is nothing for which they can be spent, right? If there is no food in the land, it doesn't matter how much money you have, it doesn't matter how much gold you have, it doesn't matter what sort of precious things that you have, if there's no bread, you can't eat. You just can't do it. It's worthless, and so we see in, in Lamentations, you know, the, the presentation of, of material wealth and, and material terms, but they're changed, right? They're, they're, they're diminished. But, it, but it's not just that. We see that people are described in a similar way. You know, the, the, the gold, as it were, the princes of Judah, well, 
they're no longer weighed out with gold. They're now earthen jars. And I mean, maybe in the back of our minds, we should, we should have in our, our, our thinking Paul's uh, writing to the Corinthians when he says that we hold this treasure in earthen jars. But, but we understand that's not the, the, the word play that, that Jeremiah has here. Jeremiah is just recognizing that what was valuable or valued is no longer. But it goes further, right? There's no food or drink for the little ones, in part because nobody's breaking bread for them, in part because nobody's feeding them, right? They're, 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 there's nothing for them to eat. In fact, there's nothing for anyone to eat. With regard to the children, it's just to point out the obvious that the society that doesn't care for its children will be gone in a generation. We also see that the consecrated ones, right, the ones that were set apart for service, the ones that were, were, were white was their description, right? Um, they, they're, they're purer than snow, they're whiter than milk, their appearance now is as black as soot so that people don't even recognize them. <laughs> in, in that regard, it's not unlike Job's friends who, who look at Job and they don't see him. They, they don't, they're not sure who that sufferer is. And then when they figure it out, they're, they're overwhelmed with sorrow because of his change, right? Uh, we, we see here that because of the Lord's removing of his providential care, this nation is, is in chaos. All that was once good has been lost. Again, it's that repeated picture of the, the, the fall of Judah as a result of the sins of the people, where they've rejected the Lord, where they've rejected the Lord's word, his law. And so the Lord has given them over to foreign nations. The Lord has given them over so that they would be ruled the way they want by those foreign leaders. And it turns out that, that it's a bitter pill for them to swallow. We also see that the things that were valuable are, are not. And as we think about that, we see that that is a, a, a way in which the Lord works through the ages. That, that um, you know, to the clever, the Lord is clever. Such that their, their, their feet are caught in their own traps. And it makes me wonder, as we think about the day in which we live, as we think about the world in which we live, as we wrestle with a, a culture that, just like Judah, has rejected the Lord, has rejected His Word, what are the things that are valuable to us that would be lost? What are the things that are valuable to us that would be twisted and turned and changed? Is it personal liberties? Is it freedom of speech? Is it, what other things? Um, the, the ability to, by and large, go where I want, to worship in the way that I want, we don't know what is in our future, but, but if we are not careful as a nation, 
I don't think we can escape the consequences we see that are poured out in Judah. And how do we understand this evil uh, within the land of Judah? How do we understand it within our own day? Uh, One of the things that I think is important for us to, to think about and to wrestle with as we come to the Scriptures and as we seek to apply them in our lives is, is what has sometimes been called the second use of the law. And that's not just the second commandment, which is what I used to think. Rather, it's, it's that the law as a whole has a number of, of purposes. Uh, you know, one of them is to show the holiness of God, right? Uh, another is to, to show our absolute need for Christ. Well, the second is, is typically understood to be to restrain evil. And this is understood, right? Um, you know, in, in your various households, if the rule is you can't have a cookie or you'll be grounded for the, the, the weekend, you know, that's probably maybe severe for a cookie, but you understand the point. And, and we understand that as a child says, well, I want the cookie, I know I should listen to mom and dad, but maybe that's not enough of an incentive but boy, being grounded from the television or whatever the punishment is, that, that has some teeth and I don't want to experience that and so I'm not going to eat the cookie. We understand that the, the law of God restrains evil. How does it do that? Well, the, the law of God directs His people to the Lord. The law of God puts in place boundaries for behavior right? Things that, that, that these are not good things for, for God's people to do. And what we see in Jerusalem, what we see in Judah during the time of Lamentations is that by this point they have abandoned the law. And in abandoning the law, there is no restraint on the evil. The people sin and they willfully sin. And so there's kind of a vicious cycle, right, where the people abandon the law of God, they, they willingly sin, and then as a result, the culture slips into greater decay, which means that they abandon the law even more, which means they sin, and, and it just keeps cycling downward, and it's, you know, how do we, we stop that? And I say that with some urgency, because whether big or small, you've likely seen signs in our own land where, where things aren't right. Whether, you know, it is the relatively minor but, but principally important removal of the Scriptures from the side of a building, right? Or, or whether it is the legislation that sinful acts and purposes are celebrated and, and exalted at the expense of of biblical ideas, we see examples in our own land where where we're in this cycle. How do we escape this? Well, we need to turn to the Lord, right? We need to recognize that, that, that we are God's creatures. He is not our creation. We need to recognize that He is the one who has established His rule, and we need to follow. 
And even as I say this, I recognize that in my own ability, I cannot do that. In my own ability, I am lost, and I don't want to follow the Lord. And we say then, thanks be to the Lord Jesus, who through His life, death, and resurrection, enables me to stand before the Lord blameless with exceeding joy. We say, praise be to the Lord who, who enables me to, to want to follow the Lord. Right? Well, well, how does this then work as we think about a, a society? Right? We, we, we've, in, throughout the book of Lamentations, we've looked at both the Lord's wrath poured out at, on a societal level and as, as well on an individual level. You know, we, we even read from the book of Job, and there we see that you know, Job was blameless, not blameless in the sense that he had never sinned, he and Jesus were the only two who had never sinned, not that kind of blameless, but rather with regard to his conduct before the Lord, he was righteous, and yet suffering entered into his life. Sometimes, for, you know, for the Lord's people, the Lord brings for His own purposes trials, frustrations, difficulties into our lives. Sometimes it's to discipline us or reprove us as sons and daughters. Sometimes it is to build you know, proven character. This is part of what we've talked about in the last few weeks. But we also need to recognize um, in Job, particularly in the, the passage that we read, you know, that, that he faced the temptation to, to yell at the Lord, and he didn't, and he maintained that the Lord is good, and he followed him amidst the distress, and that is one thing that we should emulate. But we also need to take a look at his friends, just in this moment. Now, if we read the whole book of Job, we know that they didn't always give the best of advice. But here, in, in Job 2, we see that, that their actions are helpful. And they're helpful for us as we look to those around us who are suffering. Whether that's an individual or whether that is a culture that is going wayward. They're present. They're engaged they don't say anything, but that's only temporary. They see their friend in distress, and they go and they join him in sitting in the ash heap and only experiencing ashes around a campfire. I just I can't imagine that sitting in the ash heap would be a good thing to do. Um, but, but the friends sit there with him, and they listen to him, and then, you know, they try to encourage him. Now, again, we know that their encouragement is, is not necessarily perfect, but, but the point I'm trying to make here is as we understand that suffering comes, you know, we need to try to understand its purpose. And as we understand its purpose, or, or we try to understand its purpose, we need to recognize that suffering isn't just within us, but it's within those around us. And we have an opportunity to come alongside, sit in the ash heap, to be engaged, and to listen. Now, with regard to our culture, we understand that our culture is going to eventually say things that are 
not right. We need to be listening. We need to be present. We need to be listening. And we, at some point, need to be ready to engage with our culture and the unbelief that we see there. We also need to recognize the second use of the law. We need to recognize that as our culture is wayward and wandering from the Lord, we, we know that individually salvation comes only through the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we pray for people. But as we think about our society, we need to ask that the Lord would restrain evil. And may He do that through His law. May He do that through lawmakers who understand God's purposes and help our nation return to the Lord. Now, as we think about this, as we, as we draw to a close of Lamentations 4, we see some interesting um, language. You know, in verse 11, the Lord said... Jeremiah says this, the Lord has accomplished His wrath. Okay, well, when I have accomplished something, it's finished, right? It's done. So we see that, but you know, it continues. But then at the end, in, in a message that is actually as much to Edom as it is to Zion, the Lord says this through His servant, the punishment of your iniquity has been completed, O daughter of Zion, he will exile you no longer. What we understand historically is that Israel and Judah were both, as nations, destroyed and carried off into exile. And at the appropriate time, the Lord brought His people back from exile, but the, the Lord um, caused distress for His people because they had rejected Him. And the Lord used uh, the surrounding nations to bring this about. So there's a, a couple things that we need to, to recognize as we think about the way in which the Lord draws His wrath upon Judah to a close. This, the first is this language of Edom. What, what does that mean? Well, Edom is another nation. It's actually a very small nation. It would have been to the southeast of, of Judah. And it was um, the nation that descended from Esau. Now, if you remember um, that when Jacob and Esau were born, uh, the Lord favored Jacob. We also see in that narrative the, the promise that right, the older would serve the younger or the, the, the younger would rule over, reign over, be bigger than, be stronger than the older. And we see that that's played out with these two nations. Edom is this little speck of a nothing nation. And if they went to fight with Judah on a normal day, they would get walloped. But throughout its history, what it would do is it would wait until Judah was engaged in a battle on the other side of the country. And then they would send a few people in, sneak in, and come in the back way and take some sheep or take a town or uh, try to, to take slaves away or, or to basically cause damage. What, what do I mean in this? Um, Edom, we see here, can't actually destroy Judah, 
but it just makes life miserable. And we see, if we look at the, the historical records, um, both from the Scriptures and outside of the Scriptures, that Edom did just that as Jerusalem fell. And we have here um, this language where the lamenter says to Edom, just so you know, your day's coming too. Now, why do I bring this up? I've already said we live in a culture that, that is um, uh, you, wayward. It is far from the Lord. It is, it is seeking to, to dismiss the Lord in His Word. We see some of the effects of, of the destruction that is present in lamentations. We see that in seed form in our land now. If nothing else, we see this in... in the, the rejection and, and marginalization of the church and Christians as a people. And it, this leads many to say, well, you know, is the Lord working through these other avenues to bring about um, the destruction of the nation? And we need to be careful with, with language like that, because if the, the Lord hasn't revealed it to us in the Scriptures, we are better to, to say, we don't know. Um, but we recognize here that the Lord, the God of justice, is going to deal justly for His people, even though He has punished them, even though He has exiled them. We see here that their exile and His wrath for their disobedience has been expended and that He will eventually bring them back. Not only will he do that, he will judge the nations. We then, as we think about this land, as we think about uh, how the Lord may be working um, in our midst, in our day, and how to some degree our culture might very well is in the process of disintegrating, um, we need to recognize that the Lord will see His people through and will execute justice for them. We then finally conclude, right, that our hope, our delight, our, our, our expectation is not in the things of this world. It's not even in the, the blessings of the land in which we live. You know, there's, as we think about um, the blessings of this, the, this land, we think of personal freedoms, we think of freedom of speech, and, and we wonder, you know, is that a, a blessing that, that in the Lord's providential care will be turned against His people? In some ways, you see that even now, and that is lamentable, but that is not our ultimate hope. Uh, we celebrate the fact that we enjoy far more freedoms than Paul would have operating in uh, the Roman world. And if those freedoms are removed, we lament that, but we continue to follow the Lord wherever He leads in confidence that at the proper time He will return. At the proper time, He will make all things right and good. And so we, we stand firm 
We stand firm upon the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ, having our hope in the Lord Jesus Christ that we would be righteous in Christ and that He would present us before the Father, blameless with exceeding joy. The Revelation passage that we looked at is a picture of that hope, right? Incidentally, that's another picture, if we, if we keep reading, where, where the, 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 the jewels of, of the city, the gold of the city is, is present in so much quantity that it's not a, an, a, an item to covet. Rather, there, the, the jewels of, of the new heavens and the new earth are, are something that is beautiful of the Lord's creation that we are to look at and admire and wonder at right? And it's there at the return of Christ that we will experience perfect peace, perfect comfort, and there will be no culture that goes against the Lord. There will be no culture that pushes against His law. There will be no culture that speaks against God's people. That's the land where righteousness dwells. That's our lasting city, our better city, right? If we think about Hebrews that, that we're to be looking for. And with that city in mind, as we think about the, the difficulties of the world in which we live, we're to stand firm, yes, and we are to, to prayerfully communicate the love and joy of the Lord Jesus to all those around Amen.